I'm just going to read um, verse 19 to 27 again of chapter 1. Our focus today will be on 26 to 27. The faith that acts in word. The faith that acts in words. Verse 19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's really one point to make today. It's the control of our speech. See, James, as we've been seeing, has been talking about the test of our faith. We've been going through James for a year now. And we've been seeing the test of our faith in very different ways. This is a two-part sermon, and today we're just going to focus on the control of our speech. You see, a known author captured eloquently the way in which we so religiously fail, short of, and we fall short of Christ's demand of service for others. This is a poem, it says... I was hungry and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. I was imprisoned and you crept quietly to your chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless and you preached to me of the spiritual shelter of the love of God. I was lonely and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I'm still very hungry and lonely and cold. We must hear again the words of James, chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. See, our actions often result in failures. When it comes to practical Christianity, our behaviours come short, sometimes, lots of times. But far too often we only consider the outside behaviours. James warns us not to just analyse the religious activities, but to check our speech. There's a saying that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's a lie. 
Terrible lie. The Bible says that the tongue has a power, life and death. So what is your speech like? Is your speech gentle, kind, full of grace, full of wisdom? Are you slow to speak? Is it full of praise and adoration of the Lord in thanksgiving? Or are you quick to speak rash words, destructive words, offensive words, hate speech, self-obsessed speech? We backbite with our lips, the same lips that we sing spiritual hymns and songs. See, James introduces us to pure religion. The outward working of a spiritually transformed heart starts in there. The inner being. That is to say that the practical demonstration of a Christian's obedience to God's word, the overflowing of a consecrated heart, should be the revealing, should reveal Jesus Christ. The character of Jesus Christ to a sin-stained world. Having compassion for the weak and the vulnerable and keeping ourselves unstained from the world. But this includes our speech also. We can't miss that. We hear religion or we hear, hear the word religious and our minds immediately fixates on the Pharisees or certain types of religion. We're talking about Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism. We know how religious they are, having the appearance of a Christian life, but dead, dead inside. James is specifically defining religion here as the outward working of our faith or the demonstration of something that is inwardly true. The preceding verses have been and always have been about the test of Christian faith. Where is your faith at? Who are you trusting in? Who is your God? Who is Lord over your life? Too often people give the appearance of godliness but denying its power. See, 2 Timothy 3, 5 states this. See, the previous verses show the character of such people. Jesus was talking about, uh, it, was, it was talking about the, um, the Pharisees that, that, and, and people that loved themselves. They were abusive. They were ungrateful. They were unthankful. They were slanderous. They had no self-control. These people mentioned here claim to know God but their lives were devoid of the work of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit did not reside in them. See, Martin Luther had it right when he said that the world, the world does not need a definition of religion as much as it needs a demonstration. The world needs Christians who, that their yes are yes, their no are no. The world needs Christians that their spiritual heart has been transplanted. Jesus has come in, made a new heart. And therefore they are zealous to live out their faith. The world needs Christians whose word and deed, word and deed, are consistent with a righteous heart. See, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. If you observe, it says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
There is no doubt if you live a Christ-centered life, you will walk in good works that God has prepared for you. However, the world is full of good people. Good people doing good things. What sets a Christian apart? What sets you and I apart from the world? See, a Christian's life demonstrates faithful convictions in Jesus, his nature, his work, his life, as revealed in the word of God. See, last sermon in James, we saw that Christ-exalting and true worshippers of Jesus and true worshippers of God are committed and they pursue a life of obedience to God's word. It's not just hearing it, but we live it out. Faith is stirred up in the heart through the hearing of the word of God, receiving it regularly, removing the hindrances of sin that inhibit the operation of God's word. Therefore, becoming doers of his word. Are we capable of doing this by our own will and power? No, definitely not. We fail too often. The Bible makes it clear that God works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, many people do good works. We hear of the wonderful efforts we've seen throughout this COVID period. The community has come together. Certainly where I work, we've all worked together. People making deliveries, people collecting medications and all sorts of things to help the community going to do shoppings for the elderly. So many good works. Others have charities, you know, that they give to regularly. But these things are good and, and a great benefit to the receiver. But the works of a, of a person provides no pleasure, no joy to God if, if Jesus hasn't taken hold of, of your heart. If Jesus doesn't reside there, these works are dead works. They are worthless. That's what James says. If anyone thinks he is religious, 26, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. No one can be saved by their works. No one can be saved by their good works. The heart of the gospel is that Jesus has purchased a new heart by his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection. This new heart, it's about our will, our emotions, our desires, our ambitions. They are changed, they are transformed. They're made holy and acceptable before the living God. We are made righteous. Our minds are renewed. We are transformed beings, regenerated, born again. Then when you are tested, the Holy Spirit aids you to discern the will of God. What is good? What is perfect? What brings glory to God? That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. So today's message is, watch your words. It's very simple. See, it says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and rid widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We're just focusing on 26 today. It says earlier, I, we talked about the Christian service and the time and time and time again we fail. But James wants to give us a warning here before he gives us the encouragement of what to do. What is verse 26 saying? This is what it's saying. 
If anyone thinks he is a doer that acts, but does not control their tongue, their speech, firstly, their hearts are deceived. Their works are worthless. They bring no pleasure to God, and indeed, those works will be worthless and discarded on the day of judgment. This is to say that a close examination of your words and your speech will reveal your heart condition. See, the bridling of your tongue is initiated first by the bridling of your heart. Don't miss that link. If you cannot control your words, then your acts of service or outward working of your faith is worthless. The deeper meaning here is that whatever is controlling your heart will influence your, your thoughts and your speech. It will have control. See, the heart of man is evil and by nature full of wickedness that only result in dead works. Worthless works. James has been calling his readers to examine their heart right from the beginning. A few questions. Is true faith dwelling in your heart? How do you handle trials? How is your prayer life? Do you doubt God when you pray? Do you doubt God when you experience challenging times? Do you pursue or fixate your financial position more, you fixate on it more than you fixate on God? Do you give easily, do you give give up easily in the moments of opposition and in the midst of persecution? Or do you persevere? Are you continuously overwhelmed by your sins? And tangled, it's a new word, isn't it? Entangled and enticed because of unchecked sinful desires. Examine your heart today. If we notice in that verse 26, it says, if anyone thinks. The principal word there is thinks. If anyone thinks that he is religious, if anyone thinks that they are zealous and diligent performers of the outward service of God and does not bridle their tongue, they are deceived. There is a connection here between your thinking and the state of your heart. A transformed heart accompanies a renewed thinking. If you think, assume, consider yourself to be religious, however you cannot exercise self-control over your speech, you have deceived yourself. You have fallen into self-deception. We can so easily be deceived with the thought that we know ourselves and thus make inaccurate assumptions that our good deeds originate from a righteous heart. So many times we're so confident of what we can do. Too often we think too highly of ourselves. We need to slow down. Hold on. Wait a minute. Think again. See, self-control is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that you receive as a gift of saving grace, having had your sin-enslaved heart set free by Jesus, Jesus alone. If your heart is yielding to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you should be evidently growing in controlling your tongue, controlling your speech. If you are attempting to control your tongue without the help of the Holy Spirit, fruitless, worthless. The self-control here denotes not just a refraining from sinful ways, thoughts and speech such as slander, anger, malice, gossiping, foolish talk, crude joking, careless words, but also the control of things 
you should be engaging, such as sharing the gospel, preaching and teaching of God's word, building up others with, with biblical encouragements, discipling others as a member, as a body of Christ, as a member of a local church, singing unto the Lord, giving thanks always, praying without ceasing. The perception we have of ourselves is often flawed. James says this person has a deceived heart. See, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, the nature of man means that the heart cannot be trusted. We can't rely on ourselves to to do this work, transformation. We don't even know our own thoughts half the time. Your thoughts, your emotions, your contemplations are deceitful at best and very wicked. Without Jesus in your life, without a saviour who redeems your heart, this deception only leads to condemnation. See, many professing Christians have allowed themselves to believe that their works, their serving in the church, their outreach, in whatever way they feel they're serving the Lord, that, that they have a new heart, yet they are the biggest gossipers. They slander brothers and sisters in Christ with the same lips that they bless the Lord. We easily slight each other. They profess faith in Jesus, but their mouths are corrupt. Who can know their thoughts accurately? Only the true and living God or the Bible is able to discern and decipher the thoughts in the heart of man. See, Psalms, Psalm 19, 14 says this, Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my God, my rock, my redeemer. It is those who have God as their rock, people, my people, family of God, is those who have God as their rock and redeemer, that their hearts and words will be acceptable before God. This rock will either build you up in the holy faith, strengthen you, or it will be a stumbling block. It will be something that causes one to stumble for an unbeliever. Redemption is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. See, the bridle is... When we think about the bridle, it's, it's, a, it's an instrument that's used to guide and to control the movement of a horse. As James goes on to expound on this later in chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. It's interesting that James does not state to muzzle our mouth. It says bridle. It's not able, this person's not able to bridle their tongue. See, in the case of a dog who is known to bite or cause harm, the intended purpose of a muzzle was to control and to curtail this behaviour. However, the risk for the animal to bite when taken off still remains. That animal is dangerous. The muzzle does not actually treat the dog's aggression. I'm not a dog owner, but I know it's a couple. <laughs> you can tell me if I'm wrong. So the muzzle does not actually treat the dog's aggression. So imagine the muzzle just breaking loose at any time. That dog is still dangerous. It can still bite, okay? But a bridle is used for horses. 
A bridle to a horse is like a steering wheel to a car. A car without a steering wheel has no sense of direction, no control at all. The horse requires training, diligent training, to have the bridle fitted. Don't just go and put a bridle on a horse. It takes time, patience. The process may be prolonged depending on how stubborn the horse is. But a good teacher knows how to get there. The process may be prolonged, like I said. But notice, though, that the control attained via a bridle differs from the muzzle. The dog can still be very dangerous, like we said, but the potential to bite remains. But with the bridling of a horse, this involves a process of acceptance, submission, ability to be controlled. The horse is only able to be bridled because it submits to the owner or the rider. How are we able to bridle our tongues? Submission and submission only to Jesus and his word. The word of God. Obedience to the word of God. Living by the word of God. How are you submitting to the word of God? See, the word of God has the greatest influence on your speech. How much of the word of God are you receiving? How are you receiving it? Is it haphazard, daily? Do you cherish it? Do you hunger for it? Do you seek it? Do you want it every day? Do you want to just understand God more and more? Do you spend time, things you don't understand, to say, Lord, speak to me, Holy Spirit, direct me, show me what you're saying through your word. I want to obey it. I don't understand it. It doesn't feel good. But strengthen me. We know who God is because he has spoken forth his word. See, that word, John states, became flesh. Jesus, the revealed word of God, reveals the Father. There is no miracle of salvation outside of the word of God. Unless the word of God is implanted in you. That's what James says. The implanted word that is able to save your souls. Verse, one, verse 10 in chapter 1. So your heart must firstly be brought under submission to God's word. And acceptance of God's standards and ways. Which then influences your speech. The control of your tongue is a great barometer of your obedience to God's word. It's the litmus test. If you remember, I'm sure my brother Rubble, the litmus test. It determines the acidity and the alkalinity of a substance. It's a decisive, indicative test. This is what James is saying about our speech. So your speech will betray or reveal what's indwelling in the heart. Is the word of God richly dwelling in you? Was it R&B lyrics? Was it sports stats? What's indwelling in your heart? If you ever want to examine a person's thoughts, passions or character, check their speech. It's a great indicator. See what comes out of their mouth. Most especially in distress. When you stab the little toe, just walking along, what comes out of your mouth? Is it profanity or is it... uh, Okay, I must affirm that. What comes out of our mouth depends what's inside. When a brother or sister corrects us or addresses our behaviour, what do we whisper underneath our breath? What do we say outwardly to them? When the incident with George Floyd happened, 
What was your response? Your first response? See, when Job's had his ten children die in one day, when calamity came to him, what did he say? He says in Job 5.8, As for me, I would seek God, and to God would I commit my cause. Our Lord Jesus, what did he utter in his time of temptation by Satan? He responded with the word of God three times. It is written, it is written, it is written. See, Satan threw shots, he responded with the word. Satan threw shots, he responded with the cross. He went to the cross for us. He went to the cross for followers that you don't have to. In anger, he had perfect righteousness. Righteous anger when he cleared the temple. See, Jesus' words were always exemplified the Father's will. He did and spoke what the Father revealed to him. His heart was to please him. His perfect will and emotion, his heart was always correlated with his speech and response. Jesus acted on perfect communion and trust in God the Father as he went about daily doing his Father's business. See, the late J.R. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says this, What is the significance of the words we utter? Which utterance is, of course, a work in a relevant sense? Just this, the words show what you are inside. See, he's absolutely right. Our words are the work of the inner man, the inner being. What's in your heart? Your speech will reveal your desires, evil or good, selfish or selfless. Your prayer life will betray your trust and dependency on God. If we're not praying much, are we trusting God? Your words in prayer will demonstrate your knowledge of God. We can't pray to God if we don't understand his word. We can't commune with him if we can't even pray back his own words. Your words to others when they are grieving or in pain will show your heart's compassion or not. Your quiet or spoken words in prayer, even when you face temptation, are a revelation of your heart's response to sin. All the ongoing of your inner being directly affects your speech. The implanted word of God has a huge influence on the words that you speak. It bears huge weight on your conversations with unbelievers as well as believers alike. You cannot share truthfully about the living God if you have not taken time to know him. So how can we apply this to ourselves? We must hear the warning again. If you are unable to bridle your tongue, your religion is worthless. That's what James is saying in verse 26. Your outward acts have no weight when you come before God. Eternally, your words cannot be erased. You will be judged by your words. We have to say, I wish I could take those words back. We can't. Once you release those words... 
See, after telling the Pharisees that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit would not be forgiven, Jesus states in Matthew 12, 33 to 37, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. See, we must examine our hearts, examine our words through the lenses of Scripture. Is there evidence of a transformed heart? Examine your words. See, the Pharisees, they blasphemed because they denied the work of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in their hearts. They did all the works, they did all the deeds, but they blasphemed because they didn't have the Holy Spirit in their heart. The mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. It's, there's such a rich thing that to understand what comes out is the overflow. It's, it's overflowing, it's a natural thing. What's already there, it's a, natural in, it's a natural reaction. So when you face something, what do you say? It's what is already in there. It's not something you can manufacture. It's already there. It's a, out of the overflow, out of the abundance. See, a good tree produces good fruit. Likewise, a bad tree produces bad fruit. You will know them by their speech. An evil heart speaks forth evil. A good heart a good heart speaks forth good. See, one of the convicting things in, in this verse, in Matthew chapter 12, 33 to 37, it says, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Is it saying that our words will, that's how we're saved? No. But the saving grace, Jesus, who gives us faith to believe with because of faith we are justified the faith that we profess will be tested and what's inside Jesus that you believe will automatically cause you to speak a certain way in terms of your response to God's words the obedience of God's word how you face trials how you face situations that come your way how you face temptations the faith that's in you will be tested the words you say therefore from whatever you face cannot be taken back and will justify you because on that day of judgment when the book is open and everything that you have said is laid out the only thing that exonerates us is the blood of the Lamb is that Jesus has died on the cross and is risen again those words that were careless they're discarded but then when the book of life is open and your name is there, the words that you spoke, Jesus himself, the word of God, stands for you, stands for you. 
It's not the words that justify you. Jesus justifies you. Faith in Christ justifies you. See, we must treasure the word of God above all. The seed of the word of God in your life will produce good fruit. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts off small, but it grows to be the biggest plant. Are you part of this kingdom? Are you part of the kingdom of God? Today is a day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. Examine your heart. Where are you at with the Lord? Jesus will return to judge the world. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 10 to 17 says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. What we have said, what we have done, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and the hope is, it is known also to your conscience. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in the right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves. But for him who, for, the set, for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The whole has passed away. Behold, all, behold, the new has come. All things have passed away. Behold, all, the new has come. The old is gone. The new has come. We will all come before the judgment seat of Christ, each receiving what is due to us. Perfect justice for every word that we've said. If you're not with Christ, your words will judge you. Those who are in Christ are exonerated because of their faith in Christ. So what type of person ought you to be? See, that passage of scripture says that we must be consumed by the love of Jesus. Jesus must control our hearts. It must be all about Jesus. You wake up in the morning, it's not to check what Man United scores are. It's, you wake up in the morning, it's not to think, what am I going to wear today? Jesus must consume our heart. He must reside in us and change our desires, our emotions. It must to, be, to live for him, to live is Christ. To die is gain. We must persuade others. We can't miss that in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Our words 
We persuade others based on the word of God. We share the gospel. We rely on the Holy Spirit. We share the gospel. We go out, we reach, we go out into our communities and, and, and seek the lost to be saved. See, what's the driving force of this? It's the fear of God. It says, the fear of God should drive you and I to know him and share with others the good news. It is a dreadful thing. It is a dreadful thing, thing to, to fall into the hand of God. Let us, the Bible talks about snatching different ones from, from the mouth. Some people have got to be patient as we share the gospel. Some people need to snatch them. You need to be, we need to be eager about this, sharing the gospel. What and who you are is known to God and your conscience. Your inner being bears witness. If you are saved, the Holy Spirit will bear witness. See verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, it, says, it talks about if you are not trusting in Jesus, what does it say? It says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Repent today. Repent and believe in Jesus who has died, who has raised, who has been raised up for your sake, for my sake. That our words are not going to crucify us. Our words will not, will not crucify us on that day of judgment. Only those who are in Christ will have eternal life. So our boast, therefore, is in Christ. It's not an outward appearance. But it says in verse 12 there, it says, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Our boast is in Christ. Our boast is that Jesus resides in us. So we live and we speak words that demonstrate the ministry of reconciliation. We build up others. We build up the church. We are the church. We speak, we speak encouraging words from the word, from the Bible. We don't cajole things up. We speak of what is in the word. We share the good news with eagerness and hunger to see souls being saved. And then we pray. We pray like the psalmist says, like David said in Psalm 139, 23 to 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there are any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. What do you say about God? What do you say about others? What do you say about yourself? I end on this. The words of Jesus will judge those who reject him. The words of Jesus will judge those who reject him. But for those who trust in him, those who rest in his knowledge, who are submitting to his ways and obedient to his words, they have eternal life. Amen.